Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Previously on Truth and Justice. This is Detective Brian Ridge's report after interviewing LG Hollingsworth on May 26. On this date, I interviewed LG Hollingsworth and the West Memphis Police Department concerning the above noted case. LG stated that he didn't know anything about the murders and that on Wednesday he was with Richard Simpson at his house from 5.30 p.m. until about 9.30 p.m. He stated that after that he went home just before his mother arrived home. He stated that he got on the phone with Dominie and was talking with her about the problems that she and Damien were having and that is when his mother came in about 10 p.m. Last week, we worked our way through the statements, interviews, and trial testimonies of nearly a dozen individuals who accounted for Damien Eccles' alibi on the night of the murders. Summarily, we found that on the afternoon of May 5th, 1993, Damien was dropped off at his girlfriend Dominie's house in the Lakeshore Trailer Park in the early afternoon by his mother. After school let out for the day, Damien then walked to his best friend Jason Baldwin's uncle's house with Jason, Dominie, and possibly a young man named Ken Watkins. As Jason was mowing the lawn, Damien and Dominie walked to a laundromat on Missouri Street and called his parents to pick them up. Joe, Pam, and Michelle Hutchison picked Damien and Dominie up and dropped Damien off at her home in the Lakeshore Trailer Park. From there, the family swung by the pharmacy to pick up a prescription and then headed home. When they arrived home, Damien got on the phone with two girls named Holly George and Jennifer Bearden. And then the family ate dinner. During this portion of the day, details and times are a bit inconsistent. However, all accounts seem to indicate that Damien did go to Lakeshore, Jason's uncle's house, the laundromat, back to Lakeshore, and then home for dinner. At this point in the investigation, it would seem that all of these events occurred well before Stevie, Michael, and Christopher went missing. More importantly than these witness statements are the statements that serve as an alibi for Eccles at the exact time that the murders were occurring. After dinner, Damien and his family drove to the home of Randy and Susan Sanders. Only the Sanders' daughter was at home when they arrived just before 7 p.m. The Hutchison family stayed at the house and chatted with young Jennifer for 20 to 30 minutes before returning home for the night. This trip was corroborated by nine witnesses besides Damien, including West Memphis police officer Ricky McKay's wife and daughter, and the trip was timestamped by the beginning of the TV show, Beverly Hills 90210, at 7 p.m. 
After Damien and his family returned home, according to their statements, Damien remained home for the rest of the evening. He and his family told investigators that he spent the evening talking on the phone to Holly George and Jennifer Bearden again before going to bed sometime between 10.30 and 11.30. This is where Damien's whereabouts begin to be called into question. We're all aware that Narlene Hollingsworth and her family have claimed that they saw Damien and Dominie walking down the service road in muddy clothing around 9.30 p.m. This, of course, directly conflicts with Damien and his family's recollection that he was home on the phone at that time, as well as Dominique Tier and her family who say that she was at her home at 9.30 p.m. So let's now see what Holly George and Jennifer Bearden have to say about Damien's claim that he was on the phone with them on the evening of May 5th, right after the break. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Hymns. It's a little known fact, and it's little known because it's just something that men don't want to talk about. But the fact is that sexual performance issues are more common than you think. Over 25% of new ED cases actually occur in guys under 40 years old, and 40% of men by age 40 struggle from being able to get and maintain an erection. 4hymns.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. And thanks to science, now ED can be optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat erectile dysfunction. They offer well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you combat ED. These aren't snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. These are real prescription solutions backed by science. And the best part is that 4hims.com has taken all of the awkwardness and embarrassment out of treating this common condition. There's no waiting room, no awkward doctor visits, no lines, and you'll save hours by just going to 4 You answer a few quick questions and chat with a doctor for a confidential review. They prescribe what you need and the products are shipped directly to your door. It couldn't be any easier than that. Being your best means performing your best. And with 4 there are no in-person doctor's visits and no awkward conversations. Not anymore. Try Hymns for a month a day for just $5.00. We'll get you started for just five bucks while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. But to get this special deal, just go to 4hims.com slash roughed. That's 4hims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash roughed. R-U-F-F-E-D. One more time, go to 4 slash roughed to try 4 for a month for just $5. Today's episode is also sponsored by the new podcast, Female Criminals. Since you're all listening to this show, we know that you love true crime. So let me tell you about a great new podcast. When you think of a criminal, what do you picture? Do you picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief? Do you picture a woman? Probably not. And that's what's so great about the new podcast, Female Criminals. Every week, the hosts of Female Criminals take a psychological approach to analyzing the stories and motivations of the women behind some of the world's most dangerous crimes. Each episode analyzes the psychology of these criminals, looking into their minds to better understand their motives. The hosts dive deep into the lives of infamous female criminals, providing listeners with each woman's backstory and details of her crimes. You can check out episodes on The Cocaine Goddess right now. And with a new episode coming out every Wednesday, you can expect episodes on Eileen Waranos, Matahari, and many more. 
Visit Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts and search for Female Criminals. Again, that's Female Criminals, F-E-M-A-L-E-C-R-I-M-I-N-A-L-S. Or visit parcast.com slash criminals to start listening now. That's parcast, P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com slash criminals to listen now. Detectives Brian Ridge and Bill Durham interviewed Holly George at her residence in order to verify Damien's claim that he had spent the evening of May 5th on the phone with her. The interview was taped and the transcript is available on our website. Holly told Detective Ridge that she called Damien on May 5th at around 3.30 in the afternoon. It was a three-way call with her friend Jennifer Bearden. She then goes on to say that after the three-way call ended, Jennifer had told her that she called Damien back and spoke to him alone. She says that Jennifer tried calling Damien a third time that evening, but no one answered the phone. Jennifer then called him a fourth time and spoke to him around 9 p.m. Already we have some discrepancy in Damien and his family's account of that day. So Holly says that she spoke to Damien at 3.30, but according to the family, Damien was walking to the laundromat with Domini at that time. But on the positive side, the conversation itself does fit with Damien's family story. It's only the times that are off. According to the Hutchisons, this conversation would have taken place closer to 4.30 rather than 3.30. Remember that they all stated that after they returned from dropping Domini off, that Damien got on the phone before dinner. In comparing the two accounts, it's important to note that Damien's mother described the events of the day to detectives less than two weeks after the events occurred. But Brian Ridge didn't interview Holly George until September, over four months after the incident. So it's not entirely unexpected that when someone is asked to remember exact times that they spoke on the phone with someone four months after the fact, that they might mix up a few details. Holly's memory of Jennifer attempting to call Damien later in the day with no answer actually lines up perfectly with the nine witness statements that put Damien and his entire family at the Sanders house from 6.45 to 7.15 p.m. Also, Holly's statement about Jennifer calling and talking to Damien around 9 p.m. would tend to verify the claims of Damien being home talking on the phone. Although, it does cause some problems for the Hollingsworth clan, who claimed that at 9.30, Damien was walking down the service road. Ridge also interviewed Jennifer Bearden in September. Her recollection is similar to Holly George's, with a few details changed. Jennifer told Ridge that she and Holly spoke with Damien on a three-way call around 3.30 or 4 p.m. on May 5th. The conversation was short, only lasting about five minutes, and she says that she called Damien back on her own. She says that they spoke only for a short time, and that Damien told her to call him back in about a half hour at Jason Baldwin's house. She then goes on to say that she did call Jason's house around 5 or 5.30 and spoke with both Jason and Damien. She mentioned that she was a little irritated because they were playing video games with Jason's little brother while they were on the phone. Jennifer goes on to say that the boys told her that they had to get off the phone because they were going to go somewhere, and Damien told her to call him at home around 8 p.m. She tells Ridge that she did call his house sometime around 8, and Damien's grandmother answered. Grandma told Jennifer that Damien wasn't at home, but that she should call back around 9. Jennifer says that she did call him back around 9.20 p.m. and spoke with him for a little bit and had to get off the phone at 9.30. Although, years later, Jennifer swore out an affidavit stating that she was actually on the phone with Damien much later that night. 
In the affidavit, she says that she had lied when she said she got off the phone at 9.30 because her mother was in the room and she wasn't allowed to be on the phone any later than that. As the interview continues, Ridge goes on to ask Jennifer if Damien told her where he had gone with Jason earlier that day. She says that Damien just said that they went somewhere with Jason's mom. Now, let's compare Jennifer's statement to last week's alleged timeline. She, just like Holly George, says that she was on the phone with Damien around 3.30 or 4 p.m. This, of course, conflicts with the theory that Damien was at the laundromat waiting for his parents to pick him up at that time. But again, Jennifer was never asked about the times of these calls until four months had passed by. She then says that she talked to Damien and Jason at Jason's house around 5 or 5.30 while they were playing video games with Jason's little brother. This part of her statement is in direct conflict with everyone else's recounting of the day. But while this may be a problem with the continuity of Damien's timeline, it does put him chatting up girls and happily playing video games in the Lakeshore Estates trailer park less than an hour before the three victims were murdered in the Blue Beacon Woods. She then says that Damien's grandmother answered the phone when she called around 8 p.m. and told her that he wasn't home. While the 8 p.m. part is a bit off from the Sanders and the McKay statements and the Beverly Hills 90210 airing, Damien's grandmother being home while he's gone actually does fit. Damien's grandmother lived at the home with his family. Since grandma is not included in any statements about the trip to the Sanders house, it would stand to reason that she would be the only one home to answer the phone while the rest of the family was gone. And lastly, we have Jennifer's statement that she was talking on the phone with Damien from about 9.20 until, once her mom left the room, well past 9.30, which again corroborates Damien and his family's statements that he was home on the phone throughout the evening. And once again, if true, would make the entire Hollingsworth clan story impossible. This particular part of the investigation was one of the most stunning for me to date. From the moment that I announced that we'd be investigating this case, I have had emails, messages, voicemails, and hundreds of Facebook comments exclaiming that Damien Eccles must be guilty because he has no alibi. And I've heard over and over and over again that he lied and said that he was on the phone to Holly George and Jennifer Bearden that night. I was certain that when I read through all of Jennifer and Holly's statements that I would find them completely contradicting Damien and his family's accounts of the evening. But the reality is that these two teenage girls were asked about specific times of specific phone conversations four months after the fact. And by their own statements, they talked on the phone every evening, both to each other and oftentimes to Damien and Jason. They have no anchors whatsoever to confirm their times, such as 90210 starting when the family stopped by. They are simply trying to remember times off the top of their heads four months later. And even with that, both Jennifer and Holly say that they spoke with Damien that day, Jennifer on multiple occasions, and the times that she remembers still almost perfectly align with the nine witnesses who say that they witnessed Damien at the Sanders house at the time of the murders. I am genuinely baffled and anxious to hear what I've missed here in this week's follow-up episode. I am sincerely asking, please, if I've missed something, write me and let me know. Because if this is all there is from Holly and Jennifer, then it would seem to me that the claim that they prove Damien is lying is just a talking point that has been repeated so many times that people have eventually accepted it as fact.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Unfortunately for Damien, Holly and Jennifer are just the tip of the iceberg. Next, we're going to discuss a boy named Ken Watkins. Ken is the young man who was said to be walking with Damien, Jason, and Domini on the afternoon of the 5th of May when the trio headed to Jason's uncle's house. Ken was not mentioned to police on Sunday, May 9th, when Bill Durham and Shane Griffin stopped by Jason's house to interview Damien and Jason. In fact, there's no documentation indicating that Damien ever mentioned Watkins. It was Domini and her mother who told police that Ken was with the group on May 5th. Later, Damien's mother Pam told police that she was told that Ken was with them, but she never saw him. Kenneth Watkins was interviewed by Brian Ridge four months after the murders on September 16th. Kenneth began his first interview of the day at 11.12 a.m. This is what Kenneth had to say about the events on the afternoon of May 5th from the transcript. I skipped school with Domini to meet Damien to go to his counselor with him, but Damien didn't show up, so me, Domini, and Domini's mom watched TV until about 3.30 when Damien finally showed up. Then after that, we stayed there for a few minutes and we went to Jason's house to get Jason. Then I went home to check in and tell them that I was going to leave and go to Walmart with Damien and Jason. We went to Walmart to play some video games, and LG came to Walmart. Then we went back inside Walmart to get away from him. Then I left about 5.30 to go home to babysit and eat, and then they came back around 7 and I went over early and played Nintendo. That's a lot to digest, so let's just break it down here. Ken says that he and Domini skipped school, which is an immediate red flag because Domini had dropped out of school months earlier. He says that the plan was to go to Damien's counselor's appointment with him, which is strange, but that Damien didn't show up. He then says that Damien arrives at Domini's at 3.30. This, of course, conflicts with not only Damien and his mother's statements that he was dropped off at Domini's at 1 p.m., but also with Holly George and Jennifer Bearden's statements. Remember that both of them told police they were talking to Damien on the phone at home between 3.30 and 4. At this point, we have three different locations for Damien to be at 3.30 p.m. He was either walking to the laundromat from Jason's uncle's house, at home on the phone with Holly and Jennifer, or hanging out at Domini's house with her and Ken Watkins. I suppose that's exactly what you would expect when you wait four months to interview people and then ask them to recall exact times. Ken goes on to say that he, Damien, and Jason went to Walmart to play video games without Domini, which of course conflicts with everyone's statements, including Domini, her mother, and Jason's uncle Hubert. The lawn mowing trip isn't included in Watkins' account of the afternoon. But now, LG Hollingsworth enters the story. 
Evidently, at the same time that Narlene Hollingsworth says she's dropping LG off at his home, Kenneth remembers seeing him at Walmart, at which point he, Damien, and Jason duck inside to avoid him. Next, Watkins tells Ridge that he left Walmart at 5.30 and went home, and that at 7 p.m. he met Damien and Jason at Jason's house to play Nintendo. This part of Ken's statement is in direct conflict with the nine witnesses who put Damien at the Sanders home at exactly 7 p.m. And although his statement could possibly discredit the Sanders visit alibi, if Watkins is to be believed, he has just provided police with yet another alibi for Damien. It's about a 30-minute walk from Walmart to Jason's trailer. According to Ken, Damien was at Jason's house by 7 p.m., which would mean he left from Walmart by 6.30, effectively placing him two miles away from the crime scene at the exact time the boys were being attacked. As Ken Watkins gives more and more details to Ridge about the events of May 5th, he describes spending the entire day with Dominique Tier and her mother at the Tears' home. But according to Dominique and her mother, Ken didn't show up until right before they all left to go to Jason's uncle's house later in the afternoon. Then we see Ken's statement shifting as he continues on. At one point, he tells Ridge that Dominique went with the three boys to Walmart, and then Ridge asks him about Jason mowing his uncle's lawn. Ken tells Ridge that he did go with Jason to mow his uncle Earl's lawn on the following Saturday or Sunday, not on Wednesday. To begin with, Jason's uncle's name is Hubert, not Earl, but that's neither here nor there. More important is the date of the mowing. Ken says that it was Saturday or Sunday and that he helped Jason mow the lawn. This, like pretty much all of his statement, conflicts with everyone else's account of the day's activities, including Jason's uncle Hubert, who told police that Jason mowed the lawn alone, whereas Watkins told Ridge that he physically helped Jason mow the lawn. Another problem is presented by the fact that it was actually on Sunday, May 9th, when Damien, Jason, and Dominique told Bill Durham that Jason had mowed the lawn on Wednesday. That interview took place at 5 p.m., so clearly that's not when they mowed the lawn. And of course, Ken Watkins is nowhere to be found during the police interview. But again, we have to consider the fact that Ken's recall of the day that he and Jason mowed his uncle's lawn came four months after the fact as opposed to all of the other witnesses who were asked about the afternoon only four days later. Ken goes on to tell Ridge that he had arrived at Jason's house to play video games with him and Damien at 7 p.m., and says that he knows that he left the house at 9 p.m. because he watched Bonanza at home that evening after leaving. And a quick look at the May 5th TV guide in the West Memphis Evening Times shows that Bonanza did indeed air that night at 9 p.m. So we have a memory anchor. Almost. We have a slight problem with using the 9 p.m. airing of Bonanza as an anchor. And that would be because Bonanza reruns actually aired every night at 9 p.m. Unlike Beverly Hills 90210, which only aired once a week, and only on Wednesdays. After this first interview, Ken Watkins agreed to take a polygraph test. The test was administered by Bill Durham, who reported that Ken had indicated deception when answering the following relevant questions. Did you tell the truth in the statement you gave to Detective Ridge? Watkins answered yes, deception indicated. Are you involved in any way in the murder of those three young boys? No. 
deception indicated. Has anyone told you that they were involved in the murders of those three young boys? Again, Watkins answers no, and Durham notes deception indicated. Durham indicated that Watkins was being truthful when he answered no to the following question. Were you present when those three young boys were killed? After the polygraph, Watkins admitted to a second interview with Brian Ridge. The first began at 11.12 a.m., then the polygraph, then the tape recorder was turned back on at 1.47 p.m., two and a half hours after Ken began his first interview. And based on Ridge's questioning, it's obvious that he had questioned Watkins off the record after he had failed his polygraph test. And now, Ken has a whole new story to tell. At this point, he tells Ridge that on Thursday, the day the bodies were found, he went to Walmart and that he remembers Steve Jones and another officer coming to Jason's house to talk to him that same day, Thursday, May the 6th. Of course, we know that that interview didn't actually occur until Friday. And it wasn't at Jason's house in Lakeshore, it was actually Damien at his house in the Broadway trailer park. Jason wasn't interviewed at his home in Lakeshore until Sunday the 9th, but Jones was not present for that interview. Watkins now goes on to say that he and Damien were walking together on Friday. He says that they were walking to Walmart to get Domini. While he was walking with Damien, he claims that Damien told him that he knew who killed the three boys because he was there with a couple of his friends. He goes on to say that Damien had told him that he was going to do something drastic because he was tired of people picking on him and laughing at him. Ridge then asks him if Damien told him that he wanted to be part of a cult. Watkins says that a girlfriend of his told him that she used to be in a cult, but got out of it because, quote, I guess he wanted to join again. Ridge then jumps back to Wednesday, May 5th. Ken now says that on that night, he was with Jason, Domini, and Damien at Walmart, and that he left at 5.30, just like he had stated in his first interview. But now he says that when he left, his three friends told him that they were going to the bowling alley. Then Ken says that he went over to Jason's house at 7 p.m. and played video games with Damien and Jason until 9 p.m. when Bonanza came on, just like he had said before. Ridge does try pretty hard to move Watkins away from the 7 p.m. arrival by naming TV shows that started at different times. This from the transcript, Kenneth here is referring to his trip to Jason's house on Wednesday. Ridge is asking who was home when he made his first trip. Kenneth, his mom's boyfriend. He said that he wasn't home yet, and I went back over there, finished watching the show. Then a little bit after that, I went over there to see if they were home yet. Ridge, what was the show you were watching? Kenneth, it was a movie. Ridge, on TV? Kenneth, yeah. Was it a rental movie? Uh-uh, it was a movie on TV, like a series. Ridge, it's like a one-hour show. It's a half-hour show. Let's see, I watched Full House, then I watched something else, and then I went over there. Ridge, what kind of movies do you normally like to watch on Wednesday evenings? Kenneth, Kung Fu and Ridge interrupts. Time tracks? Kenneth, no, I don't like time tracks that much. I usually watch that. I, I don't watch much TV. Ridge, 90210? Kenneth, uh-uh. Ridge, you don't like it? Kenneth, I don't watch much TV. Ridge, all right, did you watch Kung Fu? Kenneth, uh-uh. Ridge, that night? Kenneth, I watched Bonanza. And then, in Audible, that Bonanza was on. Ridge, okay, how long were you there at Jason's? Kenneth, just about two hours. Ridge, that evening? Kenneth, yeah, and when I got home, I went back over there, and we stayed about two hours, and I came home, and I was watching Bonanza, and I watched part of it, and then I went to sleep on the couch. 
So he says that after playing video games with Jason and Damien for two hours, he returned home and fell asleep watching Bonanza, which, according to the TV Guide, aired from 9 to 9.30 p.m. Before concluding the interview, Ridge gets confirmation from Ken again that Damien had told him that he was present when the boys were killed. Ridge also asked Kenneth's mom, Shirley, who was present during the interview, if Kevin had ever mentioned any of this to her before. And she replied, no. I would encourage all of you to go onto our website and read this transcript. I'd like for you to see for yourself that Ridge is obviously very interested in Ken's account of Damien telling him that he was present when the boys were killed, and he's not particularly interested in the fact that Ken, for a second time, alibis Damien placing him miles away from the crime scene playing video games at precisely the time that the murders were occurring. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. About a month after the second interview, on October 12th, Detective Bill Durham conducted another polygraph examination of Ken Watkins. This time, according to Durham, Ken indicated deception when he answered no to the following questions. Did Damien tell you who all were present when the boys were killed? And did Damien tell you who killed those three young boys? Watkins answered no to both, and the report says that there was deception indicated. The report also states that no deception was indicated on Watkins' responses to these two questions. Did Damien tell you how any of those three young boys were killed? Ken's answer, no. And then, did Damien tell you that he was there when the three young boys were killed? Ken's answer, yes. No deception indicated. This is the last we hear from Ken Watkins. So let's try to assess what he has told us. To begin with, his entire story in both interviews conflicts with every other eyewitness on the subject. In order to conclude that Watkins is telling the accurate truth, we have to then agree that everyone else who gave statements was lying, including the Hollingsworth clan, who claimed that Damien and Dominie were walking toward Lakeshore Trailer Park with muddy clothes on two miles away at 9.40 p.m. Now, if Ken is telling the truth about Damien telling him that he was present when the murders occurred, a fact that he left out of his first interview and also apparently kept from his mother for over four months, then we could conclude that Damien, in fact, did say that he was there. However, if we are in the business of believing Watkins' statement, then we also have to conclude that Damien was lying to him. Because according to Ken Watkins, Damien was, in fact, at Jason Baldwin's house playing video games at the exact time the murders occurred. 
Any way you slice it, Ken Watkins either strengthens Damien and Jason's alibi for the time of the murders, or he's lying and his entire statement is irrelevant. The last witness that we're going to discuss today is none other than LG Hollingsworth. I'm sure you remember LG was interviewed several times shortly after the murders, and back in May he told police that he had no idea who killed the boys, and then on the night of the murders, he was home from 4.30 to 5.30 and then went to his friend Richard Simpson's house from 5.30 to 9.30. He told police that he never saw Damien on the 5th. But four months later, LG reappears with a brand new story to tell prosecuting attorney John Fogelman. Back in May, he and his aunt Arlene told investigators that on the morning of May 5th, he had walked to Arlene's house and she took him job hunting. In this interview, he tells Fogelman that Arlene was supposed to pick him up, but she never showed up. So LG borrowed Richard Simpson's car to get to her house. He then says that he took her kids to school with Richard's car, which was nice of him, but doesn't really explain why he needed to go to Narlene's in the first place if he had access to Richard's car. LG then corrects himself and says that it was the next day when he drove to Narlene's and took the kids to school, not Wednesday. Wednesday, he says, Narlene did pick him up, except in his last interview, he said that he had walked to her house, but why focus on that when we can ask why he was driving Narlene's kids to school on Thursday morning in Richard's car when Narlene supposedly drove him to work that morning? I think you get my point. This entire interview is riddled with these typical Hollingsworth contradictions. I'll spare you all the details. You can read the transcripts or listen to the audio on Callahan if you really want a headache. For now, we'll just stick to LG's statements about Damien. There really isn't much here regarding Damien's alibi but he does throw in a contradiction. LG tells Fogelman that on Wednesday, May 5th, he went over to Dominique Tier's house at 1 p.m. where he saw Damien Eccles. Now, there's no mention here of Ken Watkins, who said that he was at Dominique's house all day, but LG is on point with everyone else's statement at this point. Damien and his family, along with Dominique, all told police that Damien was dropped at Dominique's around 1 p.m. Next, LG says that he saw Damien and Dominique having an argument outside her trailer at 4.30 p.m., he says that Domini stormed off and Damien was standing on the road alone. The conflicts here are the fact that Ken Watkins says that Damien and Domini were at Walmart playing video games at this point, and everyone else says that by 4.30 p.m., Domini had already been dropped back off at home and Damien had went home with his family. And that's it. That concludes all of the witness statements that contradict Damien Eccles' alibi. At this point, no one, not one single person, puts him in the woods or even within a mile of the crime scene at the time the murders occurred. In fact, we have nine witnesses, including, as I've mentioned several times, West Memphis police officer Ricky McKay's wife and daughter, who all say that when Beverly Hills 90210 came on TV at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, May 5th, Damien was at the Sanders home with his mom, dad, and sister. There is only one witness that contradicts these statements, and that's Ken Watkins. But as I've stated previously, if all nine of the other witnesses are lying and Ken is telling the truth, then Damien still would have been miles away at the Lakeshore Trailer Park in Jason Baldwin's house at the time of the murders. Four months after the incident, two teenage girls who admittedly spend just about every afternoon and evening on the telephone told investigators that they spoke with Damien on multiple occasions on May 5th. And the only conflicts in their statements are some shifts in timing from everyone else's account of the evening. 
I truly went into researching this episode with the full intention of giving you all the witness statements and evidence that could be used to disprove Damien's alibi. What I found is that Damien made some inconsistent statements in the early stages of the investigation. He changed some times around, and there's no getting around that. His evolving statements have apparently been used for years as a stanchion of his guilt. Damien has no alibi. Damien lied about his alibi. I've heard those statements repeated over and over again. But the reality is that there is a lot more to an alibi than one person's account of a day. Any competent criminal attorney will tell you that innocent people don't have alibis. The innocent suspect didn't commit the crime, and therefore the time surrounding the murderers were just a normal day to them. When pressure is put on any person, they will almost always attempt to account for their time. Oftentimes, however, this is an exercise in futility and only serves to dig them deeper as they try to come up with more details for investigators. If you really, truly want to know where a person was at a particular time, you have to investigate and evaluate the preponderance of the evidence. Talk to multiple witnesses and search for anchors. Anchors such as the exact time a TV program begins or a tax form for a $10,000 jackpot. If I've missed something here, I am more than happy to have it pointed out to me and I will address it. But until that occurs, it appears to me that based on all of the available evidence, it doesn't matter what he has said, what he has done in the past, or whether or not he has a pentagram tattoo. It is physically impossible for any person to be in two places at the same time. And Damien Eccles could not have committed these murders. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. And Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com designed and created our Season 5 logo. A special thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation in the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. 
That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.